Hello. Hey, I'm Eshappy. Uh, God damn it. Sunday. We did it we did again. It again. We'll just... We don't usually collide like mm-hmm. that. Uh, August 16. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've been on the road. I have been on the road. Uh, we uh, took our daughter back uh, to the Plains, as it were, down to Auburn, one of your favorite places. I know. Yeah. Uh, so, War Damn Eagle. But, um, yeah, so, you know, it... it uh, bittersweet uh, so she's now off campus living yeah. off campus and uh, very excited for her uh, to be starting her junior year down there oh my so. god um, yeah wow. um, horrible that it's happening in the middle of all this but uh, also exciting yes um, yeah and she just had a birthday as well which is also exciting she did um, she did which I, I completely against by the way but that's fine. Um, I can't stop. <laughs> completely against her, completely against her having birthdays. Uh, yeah. But that, which means you're uh, getting yes, older. Which means you're getting excruciatingly yeah. old. Which means also that, Excru- that Bess Armstrong, Bess Armstrong is also aging quite a bit. Uh, 66, 66, as it so. turns out. Um, so for today's episode, we're having uh, the problem is that we don't know what we want to talk about, but we just decided that we're just going to talk, which is what uh, you guys pay us the big bucks for anyway. Um, the, right. the f- all 11, all 11 of you, of you yeah. that listen regularly, I guess. Um, but one of the things that I uh, found myself doing in the last two weekends um, is watching things, well, let's not even say the last two weekends so much as I want to say the last three months uh i have been re-watching things that i find of mass sort of comfort to me um yeah. i rewatched west wing which as i said to my brother before the show i think i've seen uh at least once a year while it's been on netflix for the last however many years it's been on um and i, I specifically watched it this time because it's leaving netflix at the end of the year to go to HBO Max or whatever. So I felt some weird urgency to watch it as if somehow it was going to take me six months to watch it. And of course it took me like a month and a half to watch 150 some odd episodes. Don't do the math. Um, and how much free time. I mean, that's a lot. Um, yeah. So uh, I watched that and then I... Um, Last weekend, I watched all three parts of The Trip, and now there are four parts, uh, which I think I mentioned on last week's episode, now that I think about it, um, with uh, British comedians uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon um, basically go on trips to various places and uh, give each other a hard time. Um, So I did that last weekend, and then Friday, I watched A Late Quartet, which I've seen a bunch um, Christopher Walken, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Catherine Keener, um, some other people, uh, and then watched Spotlight, which is the movie, um, about the, the newspaper investigation into the Boston, uh, abuse scandal and everything, uh, with Michael Keaton, um, Mark Ruffalo, um, Rachel McAdams, uh, very good, and then, uh, yesterday I watched King's Speech, which is one of Arp's favorite movies, um, I think. Yes, well, he's not really paying attention. Yep, um, yep absolutely. Uh, but um, so I rewatched that, and I was thinking about how I really 
keep coming back to things. It's like it's almost like I think I described it as like the macaroni and cheese of like movies, like just things that I find comfort in just rewatching. Um, do you have things like that? Do you have things that you? Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Um, so you know one. Th- person in particular that's listening is you know always giving me a hard time Dwayne about Dwayne's um, listening to the podcast want to be anglophone oh Dwayne's listening to the pod uh he does he's uh he's an avid listener I believe um and so we're uh you know uh, I restarted the crown which is a Netflix series uh so I'm on season one episode four and uh you know, just a huge fan of the the cast, huge fan of the historical aspects of all that, and just a huge fan of, of British filmmaking and playwriting and, and all that good stuff. And so, and you know, as we, we were talking about what to do today, you know, I, I, I asked you, I said, does it have anything to do with the fact that we're the children of... You know, British subjects. And, uh, you know, so is did something sort of, is there something in the in the blood or perhaps, you know, going back and forth on too many trains? I, I don't know what, what has sort of created this joy of an appreciation of British filmmaking and, and you know, plays and, and that sort of thing. And so... I, very curious about that but yeah so started watching the the crown again uh and you know obviously uh everyone in that is uh is british except for uh you know the gentleman that plays uh winston churchill and um his name completely wow you forgot john lithgow and oh john lithgow and it just completely went out of my head Uh, and so Yeah, Lithgow, a total senior moment. So Lithgow plays and does a, a phenomenal job, I think, of, of playing of playing Churchill. And so, you know, certainly a seasoned actor. But th- just the richness of it uh, consumes yeah. me. It, it, you know, the, the language and the writing style and, and certainly the acting uh, beyond anything, I, you know, I could certainly do. Or, or dream of doing and and just before that I had rewatched the crown and then had rewatched uh, some Potter flicks and then actually last night in the hotel room down in Auburn we ended up watching seven and eight hmm. uh, again um, just because it was on it was on commercial television so we didn't see it yeah all the way through but you know always good good for passing the time. Yeah. Time, time passes, you know, to, to, to pass the time, you know, it, it's, a, it's good stuff. But I do think it's interesting about whether it's in our blood or our DNA. <laughs> I don't know, you know, are the, the British were there, what, 400 years? Something like, I don't know. Uh, I, I sh- we should yeah. know, but we don't know. We don't know. I think, oh, we'll say it's 400 years. Maybe it's 300 years. And, uh, you know, something about the 1600s rings yeah. a bell. And the, they obviously had a far-reaching impact on the subcontinent, uh, b- both in terms of its p- 
politics, it's political geography, yeah. it, the way they speak, uh, the way they write, the uh, whole nine yards. So the you know the railway system and just trying to imagine what life would if it would be different, and I think it would be different. Uh, you know, we certainly wouldn't have heard our parents and grandparents cursing about the British uh, the, the way they have um, over the years. Nothing vulgar. Yeah. But, you know, just, just a, a general disdain where I think you and I tend to find a lot of good things about watching those types of movies. And, and this episode, I don't think, is about just British movies. You know, we, yeah. we find comfort in a lot of old movies. Yeah. Uh, as you know by listening to the show, uh, you know most of our movies are not so-called contemporaneous mm. movies. They mm. are older, right? We're not talking about, although we could, but we're not talking about a movie that came out right now. We're not doing a review. Yeah. Uh, they, these are, you know, most of these have thirty years on them, if not more. Yeah. Uh, in terms of age, so. Yeah. I th- but that's yeah. That's my comfort take you know as you said macaroni yeah i mean i think i think there's i mean i think that aspect is really good uh kind of humorously reminds me of a a line from the famous soup nazi episode of seinfeld that he equates his love of the soup to his family having gone suffered through nazism that like there's that like connection for him um you know, I don't know if it's that's part of it, but that's that is kind of funny. Uh, I I think if you go back to the movies that we've talked about so far and TV, who we talked about the one comedians and cars episode, I think in terms of aesthetics, um, what were what, you know even the American things that we're discussing, nothing is like big. Hollywood. I mean, some of them are. Some of them are like classic Hollywood kind of movies, um, but nothing is like big summer blockbuster like shoot 'em up, violence, sex. You know, all those things. They're all good stories. Um, mm. You know, I think uh, American President was a good example. It's like, yes, it's a Hollywood movie. Yes, there are big Hollywood actors in it, but it's like almost like the kind of movie that's like it's good writing, it's good directing. It's it's great acting, um, and I think that's what we're getting in the things that we like of British cinema that we really like. So I mean, The Crown, you know, it's not like every season ends with like an assassination attempt on like the Queen or something, right? They like they get to a natural stopping point and they stop, and then they pick up the next season at whatever you know the next time period that they want to cover is it's like there's not an obligation to sensationalize it's an obligation to tell the story and i think that um the thing that i you know even west wing yes does have that sort of funny thing where like the first season ends with an assassination attempt the second one is like you know there's always some crazy thing going on because it's on american tv and you have to get people to like want to come back in september or whatever uh, in the old days when they had schedules. Um, but I think that the thing that draws us to sort of the collective things that we've talked about on the show and on, you know, I think we've, the movies that I mentioned at the start, um, is that there's something just in the story and in the acting 
it's not there. It's not like popcorn theater, right? Where you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? It's like, oh, this is interesting. These are interesting characters. Um, I was just talking to a couple friends of mine about uh, Late Quartet, um, which again is Walken, Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, Catherine Keener, um, maybe 10 people in the cast, um, maybe a half dozen sort of settings. Um, it's like they probably filmed it in like two or three weekends. Like it's in New York City, has a very New York City street walking y kind of vibe. Um, it's a small movie to an extent. It's not really, you know, you don't go to like Christopher Walken's Wikipedia page and it's like famous for Lake Quartet. It's like just, you know, down the list somewhere of things. Uh, probably got paid scale for it, you know. Um, it's just a good story. It's just an interesting story with really great actors. Um, you know, and I think that that's fun to rewatch because I think you can kind of come back to it and find something of interest every time that you come back to it. I think The Crown is that way um, and, and does it over a much more uh, deliberative amount of time, right? Like over multiple seasons, uh, you're getting the story of people that you do know to an extent, right? People that are mm -hmm. in the public. Um, and whether that's accurate or not, I, I'm guessing probably not to a great extent. Um, I'm sure there are events that are real and not real, but um, I, I get the sense that, like, you know, we these are people we're going to be fascinated by, but I suspect we would be fascinated by them even if they weren't famous. Like, there's yeah. still something in that story of, you know, in in our main character, in, in Elizabeth's case, um, of aging, of, you know, having to keep two separate sort of lives going, right? That there is the crown and then there is the individual. Um, and that struggle is just good. And if you do it well, it can be really fruitful not only to watch, but it can be fruitful to come back to and i think that's i think that's why you know i last night i finished king's speech and the next thought i had was what a perfect time to restart the crown so i think that's what i'm gonna yeah. do tonight. well and, and and that's that's what i did because you know um there's some comparisons to draw there right so there's uh there's henry the fifth fairly early in his are you thinking of george the fifth George V. Why did I say Henry <laughs> George V? I don't know why I said George V. And it's actually uh, sixth. Bertie, as sixth. it were, right? Huh? George VI. Uh, can't get this right, kids. My <laughs> history. Uh, George VI, uh, so uh, played by Colin Firth in The King's Speech, played by Jared Harris yeah. in The Crown. Both fantastic versions, different. You know, and they were at different stages in their yeah. lives. You know, uh, George VI was much younger in the uh, kind of 1936, 37. Yeah. He kind of aged out in uh, the King's Speech. And then obviously, and, and you know, here's some spoilers, spoiler alert. Uh, you know, at the end of his life in uh, the King's Speech, I'm yeah. sorry, in The Crown, yeah. uh, played by Jared Harris. But... Again, great acting jobs by both Colin Firth and, and Jared Harris. You know, going back to 
you know, was everything true and by the book, as it were. So, you know, the first episode in The Crown is uh, Wolverton Splash. Yeah. And, you know, Jared Harris, uh, who plays George VI, finds out that, you know, he's... He he's uh, has cancer and um, you know he smokes horrible horrible amount and you know back in the day which I'm sure filters and things like that were non-existent and uh, gets lung cancer ultimately succumbs and so there's a scene where he's talking with his now son-in-law, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, played by Matt Smith, Philip, uh, played by Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame, and, you know, he, he tells him what his job is. Now, I doubt there's any documentation as to whether that conversation really happened, but the way Peter Morgan, who's the kind of the showrunner, the writer, and, and, and the whole nine yards... He, you could imagine that that type of conversation happened, and or both parties thought about those elements contained in that conversation, right? So whether George VI actually told his son-in-law this, or whether you know Philip ever imagined that being told to him, it's such a strong connection. And then on top of it, there's the accent, and there's the 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 element of the royal family and and all that mixed together just makes for great cinematic presence and and I think meaning as well and a lot of people I think probably a lot of people in our family would say you know they're just a bunch of blowhards and you know they were just born into it and and all that when it comes to monarchy is the truth and you know I Another piece that I was just uh, watching, and I don't know the actress's name, but she plays uh, Queen Mary, Mary of Tech, uh, who is George V's wife and subsequently is Elizabeth's grandmother. Hmm. And, you know, she talks about, you know, the why monarchs are, are not appointed but they're anointed right and this whole concept of engaging with god and the the trans global and transcendent aspect of all that again whether you believe all that or not just the way mm-hmm. they carry it off and the 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 heaviness of the acting and the thoroughness of it and you can feel that and sense that conviction of no this is what a monarch's role is in society again whether you agree with it or not absolutely fantastic and and so to your point earlier i really noticed that this time you know going through the process uh, and that that particular scene where Lilibet, you know, Elizabeth comes to her grandmother and says, "Here's where I'm having some issues," because you know she had written her a letter. Again, whether that letter exists or not, I have no idea. Yeah. When she when she first became, you know, ascended to the throne after her father George VI passed away, she receives a letter from Mary, and and you know, essentially Queen Mary says. 
this is a calling from God. You know, you're being called on to do this and not so many words. Powerful. And what so well done, uh, you know, you, you want to keep going back, you know, and, and, and it's a curse. <laughs> uh, it's a curse that we both have that we can keep going back. And I'm sure people are like, why am I listening to these two guys? I, I think there's something here beyond just the entertainment value. I, I think there's some level of intellectual advancement or intellectual growth that's occurring in by watching some of this art on celluloid. Yeah, um, I I think that's right. I think that there's um really some value in in returning um i also like to kind of play that game where it's like okay i'm gonna rewatch this and this time i'm gonna focus on this aspect of the story that i'm about to watch um you know and and if it's done well you can do that at times where you're gonna say i'm gonna pay attention to this development you know um another great tv show also in a similar vein i would say which is mad men Again, great story, not sensational too much. There is there are moments of it, um, but I went back and I decided it was gonna. This was last year, I guess. But it was like I'm gonna. I want to watch it with the focus on. Let's in my mind, I'm gonna switch the main character instead of John Hamm's Don Draper character, who is the you know the masculine bravado whatever character. Um, Let's focus on this story from uh, Elizabeth Moss's character, who's Peggy. Uh, and the reason I, I mean, A, I think she's, you know, it's a crucial character. But also, like, we start with, like, the story starts with her coming to this ad agency. It's like, let's watch the story as if she is the main character. And it really opened up um, the way that I think the story is told. Um and she's not in every episode. She's not always there in every scene. Uh, she's not like that. Uh, but you know, when you when you suddenly realize the conversation she's not a part of, versus saying here's the people in the conversation, instead of saying if you turn that and say why isn't this character here, you understand that now you're dealing with like 1950s and 60s sexism, right? You're dealing with a very different narrative. So. Um, I think good storytelling opens up on multiple revisits. Uh, I think that's true in books, too. I, I don't want to like limit it to just movies and TV. Um, I did want to mention that I think what's really fascinating, too, about the Colin Firth to Jared Harris kind of comparison is that, by all accounts, World War II absolutely destroyed George VI. Like... He was a youngish man going into it, and he came out of it wrecked. I mean, it really devastated him. He, he did, a, you know, he was working, you know, long hours. Obviously, um, you know, I, I think when you when you I think the thing about monarchy that's fascinating, especially maybe twentieth century version of it, in which you have the sort of constitutional change. Right? It's not just absolute. I'm ordained by God. It's also I'm also, in some ways, there's always that conversation that, like, what do the people want? Yes, I am, you know, I am their monarch, they are my subjects, but also, you know, they've seen at this point in history, like, 
not every monarchy lasts and sometimes your head ends up at the bottom of a basket right like there is that struggle and i think um you do kind of get that and i almost I almost wish there was like a good middle movie like the folks from king's speech should get together with the folks from with <laughs> peter morgan and they should make a world war ii george the sixth movie and just end it like just bridge the gap uh pick you know a third actor why not and and just you know slide it in there and i think that would i would probably watch the hell out of that movie <laughs> um yeah so who so you know well, i mean you just great idea uh, so who would play George the Sixth? I have no idea. It'd have to be somebody who was again in their their thirties and forties. Um, I think Jared Harris and Colin Firth are certainly both too old at this point. Older, yeah. Cumberbatch um, could be. I think that's he's too too far to the side. I feel like. I feel like too, I don't too know mainstream. No, not even that. Um, I don't think you can argue that Colin Firth is not mainstream, but. Um, you know, I think I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't feel like the right casting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know my British actors well enough. Uh, really... Yeah, I don't either. I don't. You know, I mean, you know, you can go Martin Freeman. Um, yeah, who can do drama? Yeah, those guys are in everything. Um, There's got to be somebody else out there. No, there, I'm sure there are. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's it's hard to follow those two guys, right? Um, and Firth obviously had the bigger part. Yeah. Jared Harris is in for a couple of shows, and then he has a couple of flashback scenes later. Yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously his claim to fame is that he's Richard Harris's son. Yeah. And uh, I know him from Sherlock Holmes, the movies. Oh, yeah. The, the Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. movies. But he did a fantastic job of scaring the hell out of you. <laughs> um, again with that sort of cat and mouse perspective that he takes. Very different character, George VI. Uh, kind of a pushover, actually. Hmm. Um, to to the extent, and, and this was something else that I focused on this time, was his unyielding, unwavering stance on the role of the crown hmm. in government. Hmm. And so, you know, he, he knew where the line was but then there's that scene where, you know, he kind of, after Churchill wins again for the second time and comes back as, as PM and he gives him the, you know, standard line and, you know, install a government in my name, so forth and so on. And then he kind of comes back in a more casual tone and, you know, kind of says or implies rather I'm glad it was you and not the other guy. Yeah. Right? Whereas officially, he's not really supposed to do that. Yeah. He's not supposed to take an, a side, right? Yeah. Um, so all very interesting in terms of the dynamics. And again, I think there's some deep philosophy here about objectivity and the role of the monarch and the role of... Uh, what? Why are you laughing? Go on. Because the dog is barking? No, but that is funny now that you mention it. No, just keep going. <laughs> is that your... Is that on your side? Anyway. No. Um, I thought maybe it was a corgi had run loose <laughs> through the yard, but it's, it's not. The British are attacking with dogs. That's uh, The British are coming. The British... Oh, sorry. The Russians are coming. 
that's happening too but that's another show that was um, what i was getting at it's like so yeah anyway um yeah I, and i'm probably not going to stop you know and i think as we kind of wind down the, the this part of the show i'm probably going to watch the king's speech again i'm probably going to watch uh i ended up watching some indiana jones this week <laughs> also very much macaroni yes and cheese for me uh just fantastic um story and, and you know storytelling that's one thing i wanted to key off of was storytelling right is how do you how do you tell a good story and you know it can be used in certainly if you're a writer it can be used in your own personal life it can be used in your own corporate life telling good story is so important but it can be uplifting it can be downshifting it can be a lot of things depending on what kind of story you tell and you know i think we gravitate towards that and some of us get deeper into it than others about some aspect of it but i think that's okay um perhaps it's a neurosis of some sort but uh we'll leave that to the to the <laughs> psychoanalysts of the program yeah i just i i think that like um i mean i think as humans we're always sort of attracted to a good story anyway um you know and i, I think in the case of the crown i think in terms of that story i think we are attracted to a little bit of what we know on the outside and the view on the inside right so we we get that kind of struggle and it's a struggle that they face in a way that i would venture to say that monarchs of the past generations had not faced right that their lives were so separated from their subjects that it didn't phase them in the same way maybe it did but i i suspect that it was just we live our lives and they live theirs and i think in 20th century british history you start to see how those things are coming together um and i think we will probably see a lot more of that as we get further into these seasons of the crown um that it's not separate separable separable um where where the the sort of pop cultureness of it overtakes um you know the the monarchy aspect of it and i think the what i was laughing at by the way is we're sort of facing this struggle in this country now where we have a leader who is incapable of separating himself from the office that he holds and we are seeing dire consequences of it i mean we see constant narratives about you know deep state and whatnot and and the thing is there is a backbone to our political and governmental system of people that don't change with the political you know with the person at the top going in and out there are people who are in those jobs regardless of who is president who is in the house and the senate and and yes like we absolutely need those people um in order to function as a society and that is all being dismantled so my my laughter was really an avoidance of just crying horrifically in in, <laughs> in 
like, uh, you know, could you imagine having a, a monarch who is so wrapped up in their personal life that they're incapable of being a national leader? Um, and and I think what's great about the crown and why I think it's also a perfect time for it to be coming out is that we are watching that struggle in real time. Um, and we're, we're, we're wanting that kind of leadership, uh, and in the absence of, of real leadership, we'll drink the sand. Right. So yeah. I, I think that it's, it's, you know, and not to mention, I mean, they're just, everyone's engaging. I mean, every struggle that every individual is going through is fascinating. You have Philip who's torn between his kind of, I can do anything I want. I'm, you know, royalty, so I've never had to really work a day in my life. Um, But he does have a job. And um, I I admit, I mean, lately I've been feeling, I understand that struggle a lot better, that I feel like I have a job, which is making sure that my spouse can do her job. Um, And she doesn't like me saying it, but I actually really feel strongly about it. That Like, while I'm not doing anything else, like in terms of, professional work i mean i am i'm writing and whatnot but it's like i need to make sure that she can do her work the best that she can because i really believe in it and um you know it's nice to then turn on the crown and see that kind of dynamic also playing out obviously jen's not uh, a monarch of any kind but you know in in some way i think she's doing work that is saving lives so i think that's you know crucial well we won't tell her that no, but and she's she not a monarch. <laughs> she's she's not one of our four listeners, so she'll she'll never know. Yeah. Um, there you go. Question for the week: I am kind of at a loss, um, but I have been wondering sort of lately. We we uh, we we talked about sort of comfort work uh, or comfort art. Um, what else do you do for comfort? I mean, exercising is not comforting to you. You're not a runner. I'm not a runner. Um, what are other things that you do with your time that I, I, it's like, I, I don't know the answer. Like, I'm not asking you because I'm, uh, like, let's talk about it. It's like, literally, I don't know how you spend your time besides working, I guess. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, because it, it, it often comes up and it comes up at the, the most inopportune times. <laughs> and, and that is, do you whittle kind of tied, tied to, the this whole movies and Hollywood and um, British film and whatnot is useless facts about actors and actresses <laughs> and locations and yeah and things like that. So it's and and this could run the spectrum of any uh, any nationality of film. So so I could be watching or TV. I could be watching a Korean K drama. And there's an actor on there, an actress, and I'll get curious about their background and how they got to where they... And and there's a very typical pattern in K-drama about, you know, where folks go to school and how they come up and how they're selected and they all work for the same agencies and agencies fight back and forth for them. So it's a very curious thing, but it... it, So, you know, where, where were they born... And, and, you know, I'd like to go back and, and find out and do a study on how many of them come from divorced, you know, 
parents. Uh, I think it's a fairly large percentage mm. uh, that come from, quote, broken homes or, or, or the like. So that is fascinating. The, the problem is, is that I take comfort of this during the the whatever we're watching <laughs> right and so my 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 two besties over here they they find that uh quite appalling and uh annoying but but that whatever it you know and it is it regret amish i don't think so where i go you know gee what if i had done x y or z or you know if i really thought i could be in this industry or have done something and it's not to say that i can't or that i won't but what what are those backgrounds what are their those lives like uh to try to appreciate is there something that motivated them or got them interesting a lot mm. of it is just parents you know their parents took them to a a modeling thing or put them up for a play or took them to an audition or, or, or whatnot, and they got chosen, and, and then off you went. You know, I mean, I think the story of Daniel Radcliffe is well known yeah. about how he went through that process and all three of those kids. And so that that's interesting and curious, right? So the the that that is something, and it's interesting that the word comfort is in there. It does provide comfort as much as it is comfortable um you know it's it's part of the process of understanding what is behind the art Mm. and who is behind the art and kind of what made them and what their background is and i find it all very fascinating to know you know where they grew up and who they're connected to and where they got started and and so forth and so on to then watch them on screen and go oh i can see a little bit of that or because ultimately you know actors and actresses are supposed to be some of the most objective folks that you can find right they're there playing a very specific role and when they're done they turn it off and they go and do something else right they're not attached to anything so again i think the philosophy is is deeply ingrained in that process as well. And, and I find that, you know, it goes back to the line from As You Like It, right, by, by Bill Shakespeare, you know, all the world's a stage and we are merely players, actors and portrayers. You know, we all have our entrances and exits kind of thing. So I, I do find that all very comforting hmm. and very comfortable. Macaroni, as it were. <laughs> This podcast is available from Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.